year to you. It's crazy. I can't believe the crowd this morning. Just insane how many people turned out. I'm shocked. I don't make too many predictions, but I'm going to predict the 11 o'clock will be the larger of the two services today. Last night was rough. I mean, New Year's Eve, it's, you know, it's tough to get up on Sunday morning and go to church on New Year's Day. I mean, I was up till daggum near 8 o'clock. Just crazy. You know, I've thought, I love memes. I don't know if you know that about me, but uh, I love, I love, so I've thought about doing like a, you know, meme of the week, you know, here every week. I probably won't do it because it's corny and I get bored with stuff, so I've never done it. But the meme of the week for me this week was, uh, I'm sure you've seen it. Somebody posted, they said, uh, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to wear to the living room for New Year's Eve. I probably won't even go. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's how I felt. I'm like, man, what time is it? We actually did a countdown. Our little guys aren't in here, right? We did a countdown for uh, Tatum and Jensen last night. They're seven and four, if you don't know that. And uh, about 7.45 last night, <laughs> we put up a fake ca- countdown on the TV screen. We're like, five more minutes to New Year's, guys. <laughs> it worked. It was awesome. So then at the end of that, we're like, woo, happy New Year. Gave hugs, high fives. You know, now it's bedtime. Now look, you can say, yeah, that was dishonest. It was New Year's somewhere, <laughs> wasn't it? New Year's in certain parts of the world, so we didn't completely lie to them. But anyhow, Happy New Year, and um, I am going to preach a token. You know, you got to preach a New Year's sermon, and so I'm going to do that this morning. Uh, you don't have to, but I didn't quite feel like getting into a new series. I think I'm going to start a new series coming up here before too terribly long. I like teaching through books of the Bible, and uh, we uh, went through the book of Acts last year, and it was very helpful to me. I enjoyed it. And then I'm uh, thinking about tackling another book. I won't mention it yet just to keep you in suspense. I know from now on, you're going to be sitting at home going, man, where's he going, right? Just can't stand the, uh, the, the pressure. But uh, today, go with me to Philippians chapter 3, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Uh, Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible, probably because it's, it's known as the psychology book of the Bible, and I love psychology. Um, I'm weird. I get into weird things that just interest me. Um, you know, I read theology books for fun. It's weird. You know, and psychology is just one of those subjects that it interests me more than uh, most other things in the world, and I like to figure out how people think and what makes them tick, uh, just so I can be more frustrated, if nothing else. You know what I'm saying? If you want to be frustrated, try to figure people out. That's frustrating, ain't it? So that's where we're going today. Uh, Oh, I should probably pull it up here on my old iPad if we're going to read it. So, um, but anyway, so, but I want to cover this subject. I have made a resolution all right, I don't make many New Year's resolutions. I made a resolution this year that I'm going to preach shorter sermons. So um, we'll see how that goes. I'm going to try it out, and uh, you'll be my first test subjects to see how this works, okay? Philippians chapter 3, notice with me in verse number 1. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you, it is safe. You know, we oftentimes are always looking to hear something new, you know. I think we all kind of have a, a desire to hear new things, when in reality, we often need to be reminded of things that we already knew. Uh, because, you know, the older we get, I'll be 43 this week, by the way. I know. I know. Just a, just, just a wee little child. Uh, but, um, you know, the older we get, I, I start to realize things that I, that I forgot I knew. Y'all do that? Feel stupid? Oh, yeah, I knew that. I heard that before. And so what Paul's saying as he's writing to the Philippians is, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind you of some stuff. You already knew this, but, but don't, don't, don't take it as being tedious. I, I just want to bring up some things uh, to, to keep it in front of our hearts and minds. So verse 2, he says, beware of dogs. It's not speaking of canines specifically. He's speaking of people. Uh, it's kind of a rough term to use for folks, right? I wouldn't recommend that you do it very often, unless you're like, sup dog, you know what I'm saying? It's perfectly appropriate around here, uh, but that, he's talking about people who are, uh, well, he explains it, evil workers, uh, mutilation, beware of the mutilation. These were religious folks that were always devouring people, and if there's one thing that's consistent about religion is it, it, it consistently chews people up and spits them out. I mean, the primary reason why folks don't want to come to church is because they've had a bad experience either with a church or with a church person. Right, So Paul is reminding them that, look, you know, those who claim to be of Christ aren't always Christ-like. 
but don't let the hypocrites keep you away. Verse number three, for we are the circumcision. It's referring to Jewish people, but specifically Jews who have actually put their faith in Christ. That's a whole other subject. I promised I wouldn't talk about circumcision on Sunday morning again anytime soon. So we're going to skip it. But he said they worship God in spirit. He said, so not everybody's fake. Uh, not everybody's a phony. Not everybody is a counterfeit. Um, he said there are those who worship God in spirit. They rejoice in Christ, and they have no confidence in the flesh. So they're not trusting themselves. They genuinely are trusting in Jesus. He said, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So Paul is giving his own testimony. It's very different than mine and probably different than yours. Paul's testimony is not that he was some evil guy, you know, just just wreaking havoc on on society and on the community. You know, Paul was a a law-abiding citizen. In fact, he he worked for the, the Jewish people, but for the Sanhedrin, to persecute those who rose up against the Jewish customs and traditions of their day. And so Paul is sharing his own testimony. He said, I, I didn't have to get saved out of drug abuse or some promiscuous evil lifestyle. He said, I, I had to get saved out of my own self-righteousness. And that's true of a lot of religious people, by the way. I'm not going to pick on religious people all day. But we're there, right? It's here. Might as well do it. Never pass up an opportunity. Um, so verse 7, Paul says, but what things were gained to me. Remember, he's sharing his testimony. These things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So in Paul's estimation, there was no higher knowledge to be attained than the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I will absolutely abandon everything else in this world so I can have a deeper, more, more meaningful relationship with him. In verse number nine, he goes and be found, he says, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, which by the way, that's the only genuine type of righteousness that is known to humanity is the the righteousness that we attain through Jesus Christ. Verse number 10, by the way, we're not doing well so far on this whole short sermon deal. All right. Verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for, uh, for, that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So according to verse number 15, I'm presuming that I'm dealing with mature people today. Based on the giggles, it might have been a false presumption. But anyway... I want to talk to you about some things, and, and, and you know, Tate mentioned this when he, when he was introducing There Was Jesus, which in my opinion is far better than the song that I tried to introduce. It was on the screen, all right, in the back. But anyway, Tate mentioned in the introduction of that that, uh, you know, there are probably some things in the past year that uh, you're glad are behind you, but the truth is, <laughs> they're really not. It's just a different year. We've just flipped the calendar, Right? It's a new day. I'm thankful for that. It's a new year. It's 2023. Is that right? I lose track. I never got used to signing 2022. Uh, but now it's 2023. Uh, when I was a kid, this was like, uh, you know, impossible. When you thought this far ahead, you just didn't think life would, like the world would somehow just evaporate by now. Did y'all think that way? But it's here and we're here. And so I want to talk to you about some things that, that you know, as we, as we look back on the last year and we look forward to the new year, we're fully aware of the fact that there were things that, that, that we encountered that were completely outside of our control, right? So I'm not going to talk about that as much as I am going to talk about things that you can control because there are things that we can control if we'll get, if we'll get after it and get busy and be, and, and be determined to make changes. So I want to talk to you about a few of those things very quickly over the next five to 55 minutes, okay? 
Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the new year. I, I appreciate uh, the fact, even though we understand it's just the turning of a, of a date on the calendar, it really does give us this sense of freshness. There's a, there's a reset element uh, to a brand new year. And so I pray that you'd help us to take, take hold of that, Father, that we could take full advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us and, and, and not just, just make it another turning of, of a year, but God, I pray that we'd make this the absolute best year as much as is humanly possible. Give us the power to affect change, to affect success. I pray that your blessing would be on us. I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. Fill me with wisdom as I try to just articulate what you've put in my heart. I pray that you would use me for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. So controlling what you can control. By the way, uh, I forgot to send my outline to the media team, so you get nothing on the screen today. You just have to listen to me. But uh, I know, it blew the whole sermon. I'm sorry. But, uh, but there are things that we can control, and, and if we're going to do that, there, there are some things that Paul talked about here in Philippians chapter number three that are vital. First of all, I want you to notice in verse number seven, there is an assessment phase. How many of you have realized that, that life is not just going to work out if you don't learn how to work it out. Nobody knows that? I asked for a show of hands around here. We don't shout a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? The Baptists are scared and the Pentecostals are scared. The Baptists are going to think they're still Pentecostal. But anyway, um, we just got a whole mixed up group of people. But the point is, we, we, we recognize this fact in life. Again, at least I hope you have come to this realization that, that if, you're, if you're going to be successful in any, any particular venue, you're going to have to get purposeful about it. So here's what Paul says in verse number seven. Notice this, just as we sort of segue from his past life to his new life in Christ, he says in verse seven, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now, if we wanted to get deep in the context, we could, become, we could get real bogged down with the doctrinal theological aspect of this, that Paul was a Jew, he was very self-righteous, he was very hypocritical in many ways, and he had to see himself as broken and a sinner just like everybody else and fall at the feet of Jesus and be born again. So there's that element uh, of the fact that there is a doctrinal uh, aspect to what Paul is saying, that in order for him to be saved, he had to realize that he wasn't good enough to save himself. As he would go on to write in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8, For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God that's not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul came to that realization and was born again. But, but let me borrow from something he said here uh, that's in the context, but I want to apply it a little bit different. Uh, Paul said, what things were gained to me, I have counted loss for Christ. What that simply means is, is he had to take time and inventory himself and assess his own life and, and begin looking at, at what, what, what things were assets, what things were liabilities, what things were just weights that were holding him back, and what things were actually beneficial. beneficial. So there was this whole assessment phase that has to take place in order for us to affect change. We have to learn to critique the source of our struggles, right? How many of y'all struggled a little bit in 2022? Some of you? How I many of you struggled a lot of bit in 2022? We have to learn to critique the source of our struggles. And, and as you look back at the problems you faced last year, as I mentioned a moment ago, no doubt there were certain things that were absolutely unavoidable. Am I right? Certain things were just 100% unavoidable, not your fault. There wasn't anything that you could do to alter the course. It, it just is what it is, and I hate that statement, but it's true of many things. There are certain things that just, it just happened. Sometimes no good explanation, you couldn't avoid it. I want you to take all those things and set them off to the side for just a moment, okay? Set all the unavoidable stuff to the side for a moment, and now I want you to think about the things that were entirely avoidable. This is the difficult part. Sometimes it's, it's easier to face problems that, that we didn't bring on ourselves, am I right? Y'all have to stay with me now. Don't be acting like that dreaded 11 o'clock service. If you're normally in the 11 o'clock and you're watching at home, it's just a joke. I was trying to make them feel better, okay? Uh, but anyway, it is easier, quite frankly, to face problems that, that, that you know, were not self-inflicted. It's very difficult, however, to be honest enough to look at the problems in our lives and say, you know what, that was probably me. If I'm being honest, that was probably on me. 
And so I want you to gather all those things up for just a moment. And I know this is tough. We're talking about going over 12 months. How about we just go back 12 days? Just uh, let's forget the macro and focus on the micro. And again, what I'm really trying to do is help you to develop a, a, a good paradigm to do this on a daily basis, okay? Because daily we need to assess the situations that we face. Job said it like this. I'd like to tell you that life is all sunshine and roses, but Job said, man that's born of a woman is full of, uh, full of day, uh, is a few days, sorry, a few days and full of trouble. In other words, he said, you know what? Your life is real short and your problems are real tall. And you're going to face them on a daily basis. And so we've got to learn how to navigate. And so think about those things that were entirely avoidable. And also, I've got to say this to you. Don't get offended at me. This crowd's too small for me to make just big, huge, bloviating, sweeping statements, okay? But, but, but everyone else is not the problem all the time. You okay? All right. I don't want to hurt your feelings too early. Everyone else is not the problem. Now, it gets, it, it, it's easier we, we get sort of, uh, you know, in a, in a habit, we get blinded, we become naive, and we want to convince ourselves that, that really the issues with our marriage, the issue with our job, the issue in the neighborhood, the issue with our family, we want to blame everybody else around us, but often there's only one common denominator to all of our problems, and it's you. What I'm trying to say is you're the problem. No, I'm just teasing. But it's also, as much as I'm kidding, that you're, you're not the problem all the time. Don't go out of here wounded. You're not always the problem. But the, but the fact is, nobody else is the problem all the time either. And we have to accept that. So you need to ask yourselves questions like this. Am I the drama queen? Maybe I'm the drama queen. Maybe if my life is always affected by drama, it might be that I actually like it. Nobody wants to admit they like drama. I'm the first guy. You've heard me say it. I'm the first guy to go, I freaking hate drama. All this drama. Drama, drama, drama. And then one day I thought, you know, I kind of like drama. <laughs> don't you? Life gets boring. Nobody else will admit that. Please don't leave me on, on my own here. How about gossip? I'm the first guy to stand up and say, I, I hate gossip. I hate it. Hate it. And I'm the first one. Somebody got something to say about somebody. I'm like, what? <laughs> say what? So oftentimes the things that we say we hate, we actually kind of like. It's a smokescreen, man. We're deceptive. We are. And I know you're sitting there going, no, I hate drama and I hate gossip. You're only thinking about the drama and the gossip that has you on the negative side of it. Ain't you? The truth of the matter is we have to really stop and take, take a personal assessment and say, you know, it, it might be maybe that I stir stuff up. It might be that sometimes I'm the one that's quick to listen to something about somebody else. Maybe I'm the one that's wanting to hear the negative. I love negative media. Don't you? That's why we have the news media. The news media is not built on good news. So if this were not epidemic to human nature, we would, there would be no Fox News or MSNBC or C whatever, Right? I don't watch the news, so I don't know. I get all my news from Facebook, a reliable source. <laughs> if, there, if bad news wasn't popular, they'd go out of business. And so it's important that we get honest and say, you know what? I'm the one that, I'm always the one sticking my nose where it don't belong. There's a great verse in the book of Proverbs says that he that meddles with, with, with trouble not, not pertaining to him. When you stick your nose in somebody's business, I don't even know what all this means. There are things in the Bible I don't fully understand, but it says that when you're consistently sticking your nose in somebody else's business, it's like taking a dog by the ears. Now, I've never tried that, but it's probably not a good idea to grab a dog by the, okay, by the ears. Probably not the best program, not the, not the best plan. But we have to assess our own lives and, and get honest about it. Paul said, I took some things into account. I looked at myself. I looked in the mirror. I was very honest. I was very transparent. I was just brutally, brutally truthful with myself and realized that, that a lot of the things that I was dealing with, a lot of the struggles, especially the stuff that kept coming back around all the time, I discovered it was me. I was the one standing in the middle of it consistently. 
And so, and so, so here is, is a little bit of advice for, for, for life in general, but specifically when it comes to personal interactions, because again, let's, if we're being truthful this morning, let's be honest, 90 plus percent of our problems are directly related to people. If you need to sit and calculate that for a moment, I might not be exactly accurate with the 90%. It's probably more like 98.7. If we're being real, just real specific. But most of our problems in life are directly related to people. If not directly, then indirectly related to people. So let me give you some advice about personal interactions specifically. When it comes to personal interactions, when it comes to conversation, when it comes to conflict, when it comes to anything pertaining to people, always seek to gain perspective. I can't emphasize to you how important perspective is. Because, because here's the reality. Every one of us has blind spots. I know we think we see it all. Like we're the all-seeing eye. No, I completely understand. No, you probably don't. There are probably elements to the story. There are probably little pieces to, to, the, to, the, to the problem that you're not seeing. So, so the goal ought to be to gain perspective. Now, let me share some scripture with you. I'd love to throw it on the screen, but I forgot to send it to him. Okay? So listen carefully. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 3 says, Spouting off before listening to facts is both shameful and foolish. That's a good verse. Spouting off before listening to facts is both shameful and and foolish. But we've all done it. Huh? We've all done it. We get a, we get a little bit of information, just a little. And again, I've been beating up social media lately. I'm not meaning to, but social media is the worst about this. Because it used to be if you wanted to say something about somebody, you had to actually say it to another person, either via telephone or face-to-face, which is crazy, isn't it? You had to actually communicate with someone verbally. Nowadays, all you got to do is you know, throw it out there on Facebook or whatever, you know, whatever you kids use nowadays, the tickety-tock or the, you know, uh, snappity-chat. I don't know what they all got. I do. I pretend like I don't know. I do. But it all gets thrown out there, and we make, you know, we start, we start making really quick judgment calls. We've all done this with, with businesses. You know, somebody gets online and blasts a business, and we go, well, I, I ain't never freaking eating there again. Now, there aren't many places that I'll say that about. Never eaten there again. Rarely, rarely would I say that. It'd have to be really bad. I'm just saying. But anyway, that's a side issue, and I got to thinking about food. So, spouting off before, before gathering all the facts is both shameful and foolish. Listen to this, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 15 says, Intelligent people are always ready to learn. Their ears are open for knowledge. Intelligent people are always ready to learn. How many intelligent people do I have in the room this morning? Good. Intelligent people are always ready to learn. That means that, that, means that you're, not ready, you're, not, you're not readily wanting to jump to conclusions. You're not readily wanting to just make broad sweeping statements. An intelligent person will seek to gain perspective. An intelligent person will want to hear all the angles before choosing sides. And so, so, so you've got to learn what it is to gain perspective. Let me ask you a question, because you guys look like you're in the mood for questions this morning. Have you ever been just absolutely livid about something someone said? Let's pause there. Soak that in. Somebody said something, and you were, I mean, just fired up mad. And I'm talking about they said something that, that, that just, it, I'm talking like not just a moment, but it lit you up for days. Anybody else like that in the room? Somebody can say one thing, and they go on about their business, but for the next three nights, you're laying in bed thinking about what they said? So somebody said something that just, just fired you up. Man, they're living rent-free in your head. They said something that you just can't get off your mind, they, 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 and it offended you, and you're burnt up, and you're ready to give them a piece of your mind, but then something in the back of your mind says, you know what, I, 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 I'm going to just ask what, what, what he meant by that before I give him a piece of my mind. Which, that's a good start, by the way. I'm going to just ask him one more time before I, before I unload the litany of things that I want to say in response because by this time, I've already got my gun loaded, both barrels ready to fire. Huh? Or am I the only sinner in the room? I feel like I'm so lonely today. 
I mean, when I get to this point, when I get to this point, I mean, I'm ready to walk in the courtroom and present my case. Like, I want to get other people around and say, come here, Hoss, why don't you say what you said again? And I've, already, I've done got it all figured out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from being on defense to prosecution, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the stand, and I'm going to tell you some stuff about you, or as they used to say, how the cow ate the cabbage, I'm going to let you know what's up. I've done, I've done thought it through, right? I have my battle plan. I'm ready to attack. And then that, that still small voice in the back of your head says, just, one, just, just, just do this. Before you do that, just ask them, what did they mean when they said that? And then when you, when, when you do that, which again, I've done it many times where I didn't do that and it didn't work out well, right? I've jumped to conclusions, and again, based on my conclusions, I've made decisions and determinations, and again, prepared to, to absolutely verbally destroy them. I'm pretty decent at that, right? I got it all lined out. And prepared, and I've just jumped in and, and just tore somebody up, and they're like, what the heck, dude? I didn't say that. Yeah, you freaking did. Yeah, you said it. I was there. I got two ears. You think I'm stupid? I heard what I heard. I've done that. And then when I've gone and just calmly said, hey, man, what do you mean by that? Have you ever had this happen where they, they said what they meant again, and you heard it? Same words, but then they explained what they actually meant, and they didn't even mean what you thought they meant? But you were ready to kill, at least fight. Let's not jump to murder yet. You were ready to fight somebody over a misunderstanding. Now, sometimes you do that and you confront the issue and they say, you know, that's exactly what I meant. And then, baby, unload the wagon. You know what I'm saying? That's what we live for. Let them have it. Say, boy, I got some stuff for you. I wrote it down. But, man, I've done that so many times. I hate to admit it. Again, I don't know. Maybe it's confession day. All right? I've done that so many times where I thought I heard something and I, I thought they said it a certain way or I just took it completely wrong. I've had this happen recently. I took something completely wrong and then finally decided to go back. A very good friend of mine said, dude, what'd you mean by that? He said it again. I was like, oh, well, I guess we don't need to fight. It's cool, right? It, it, it's always wise to gain perspective. Rather than just jump on a theory or jump, jump, in, jump to some conclusion or, or, or just you know, have, have a higher opinion for your own opinion than what you should, it's important to gain perspective because there, there's always more to learn. There's always more than meets the eye. And there's always things you don't know. Did you know this? Here's the universal truth. You don't know what you don't know. That's always true. You don't know what you don't know, so always look to gain perspective. Now, I know I'm not making friends so far, and I'm going to say something else. I, we're going to make up in a minute, but i got to say this because it's important, okay? But you also, if, if, if we're going to work through these things and we're going to self-assess, you have to learn to not trust your own emotions. I'm going to go ahead and, again, I'm going to let that simmer. Don't trust your own emotions. Now, I want to introduce something to you. I have a new theory that I've been working on. Now, it's a very solid theory because I've, I've run it by like five people. Okay? So this is a very valid theory. It's, it's gone through proper testing. And so I'm here to present it to you today. You ready? I'm not sure you are, but we're going to go after it. Here's my new theory. I believe that there is a very fine line between sanity and insanity. And that we're all, in some way, about, about half a bubble away from tipping the scale. That's my new theory. I think we're all about a hair's breadth away in certain areas. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying completely, certifiably, across the board, insane. Okay? I'm not saying, I'm not saying physically, mentally broken. I'm just saying there are certain areas of your life, certain parts of your mind, certain aspects of your psychological makeup and mind that we're about that close. There's a fine line between sane and insane. Now, I can see you're having a hard time with this, so I'm going to give you an example. Hear me out. Have you ever done something personally and then looked back on that decision and said, what in the H-E-double hockey sticks 
was I thinking? What was I thinking? Why did I do that? How many? Help me, please. Look at this. Oh, see, now I've run it past more than five people. It's becoming, it's becoming more than a theory. It's scientific at this point. We have all done things that, and then later looked back. I'm talking about made decisions. And don't look at your spouse right now. Keep your eyes here. <laughs> this way. We've all made decisions and later looked back and said, what is wrong with me? Why, why did I do that? I don't know what I was thinking. I did not take the time to process that. I don't know what I was thinking. Now, if you're still not picking up on what I'm laying down, let me give you another, another little situation. How about a fit of anger? I'm talking to grown people. I ain't talking about little three-year-olds throwing a fit. Although some of us could give them a run for their money. But think about times that you have absolutely just lost your ever-loving mind because you were mad about something. Now, some of y'all don't have this issue. Some of you don't have bad tempers, okay? I don't understand you. I think we can still be friends. But, but you don't have this level of rage pent up in your, in, your, in your heart. Some of us are angry people, okay? And I'm pretty sure, again, I've already learned this crowd. You're going to leave me on my own and pretend like you don't deal with this. So fine, let me be the evil guy in the room, all right? But there are times that, and I've, uh, listen, the Lord has helped me with this, big time. But, but there have been times in my life, and I mean way back, this hasn't happened for 44, 45 years. But uh, there are times in my ancient history when I would, and I don't say this, sometimes we talk about anger as if it's a good thing, like we're bragging. I'm not bragging. There have been times I've gotten so absolutely PO'd about something that I feel like I stepped over the line, like that little bubble tipped. I was, I was over the line, and I went from saying, thinking rationally, just go, I'm a pretty objective, logical, realistic individual on most days. But I've had times I've, I've, I've gotten upset, I've gotten angry, and, and I'm telling you, I stepped, I stepped out of sane into insane in the membrane, right? I'm talking there, were, there was no room for objectivity, there was no room for rationale, there was no room for logic. You weren't talking me off the ledge, baby, I'm going to jump. And I don't care what happens, and I don't care who it hurts, and I don't care what the repercussions are, I'm mad, and I'm going to do something about it. That's crazy. That's nuts. That's cuckoo. Now, before you throw stones, y'all have areas of your life like that too. There are areas of your life. This is why the Bible says over and over and over. The phrase, be sober, is found seven times in the New Testament. And it's not just talking about not drinking too much, although some of y'all should take that literally in 2023 as well. And chill out on the bottle, okay? Just take it easy. But when it says be sober, it simply means to think clearly. Why do you think God told us seven times in the New Testament to think clearly? Because sometimes we don't. Sometimes we step over that line from, from being completely rational to, be, to being, from being logical to being, you know, someone who can, who can complete a thought in an intelligent way. We can reason through things. Listen, there are times for all of us, and if it's not anger for you, it's some other area. There have been times and there will be times where you're not thinking clearly. And that, and that scale has tipped. And you have to be aware of that and learn how to regulate it and not make decisions when you're not sober. Man, I'm telling you, Jim Bean ain't the only way to get drunk. You can get drunk on emotion, whether it be anger, whether it be sexual lust, no matter what it might be, you can't trust your emotions. Emotions are a wonderful gift from God, but we have to regulate our emotions with truth. And stop allowing our emotions to dictate truth for us. See, because here's what we do. We, we, we've turned this whole thing around backwards. we got the cart before the horse. I feel a certain way, therefore the way I feel must be true. I hate to keep using illustrations, but y'all are looking like you ain't listening today. Now I'm going to relate to the men. Ladies, I'm going to lose you here for just a moment. Well, kind of, because you're part of this story. You'll understand it too. But how many of you men, if just come on, help me, please. I'm begging you. Stay with me here. How many of you men have woken up 
on any random morning. And for no apparent reason, your wife is just upset with you. You just woke up. You haven't said hello. You haven't made coffee. She hasn't even given you a chance yet to mess up. But she's upset with you because you know what? You start asking. You start prodding and asking questions. And you come to find out she had a dream. And in that dream, you did something awful. Right? Thank you for not leaving me alone. That's never happened to me, but I do enough counseling. It's happened to everybody. I've, I, now, not, not in that scenario, but I've woke up mad before because I dreamed somebody did something or said something, and it was so vivid, so real, so lucid that I thought, Ugh. and I'm in a bad mood. Wake up in a bad mood. And nothing has in fact happened. It's not reality. It was completely contrived. Somehow my mind made it up. Right? We have to learn not to trust our emotions. I I give a little illustration about being tickled here, but I'm not going to do it when I usually talk about this. Y'all ever heard my tickle illustration? It's the weirdest thing I say usually. And that's saying something. I hate being tickled personally. Don't you? If you like being tickled, you have stepped over that line. (laughs) You're nuts. You're completely crazy. Stay away from me. But you know what you're going to do if somebody tickles you? What are you going to do? I'm going to laugh. I might punch them in the face while I'm laughing. It's true. It triggers violence. But I will laugh and hit you right right in the jawbone. Which just goes to show you, you can't trust your emotions. Because, listen, being tickled is anything but funny. I'll kill you. I hate it. But if you get tickled, you're going to laugh. We have to learn to stop trusting our emotions. Now, now watch this. There's, there's, there's a formula for this, and Paul says it, and I'm glad it's right here in Philippians chapter 4, so you can see it. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now notice the next phase. He says, finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So you know what he's essentially teaching us to do? He's teaching us how to regulate our own emotional complex, our own emotional makeup. He says, first of all, you've got to focus on what's true. A lot of times we have feelings about things, and that thing just, it ain't, it just ain't true. It's just not true. I, feel, I can feel very strongly about something that's completely false. I can have very strong feelings, and again, I can give you illustration after illustration after illustration, but I've already told enough bad stories about myself today, so we're going to leave those alone. But I can tell you, I can tell you time after time, I've had, I've had very strong feelings about things that just, it just, it just wasn't the way I thought it was. And so first and foremost, Paul says, whatever things are true, learn to focus on what's true. If you're going to gain the truth, you've got to gain perspective. You've got to do your research. You have to do your homework. You can't be foolish and just jump on a matter the first time you hear something about it. You've got to be studious and dig in. This is why Proverbs tells us over and over to seek wisdom and with all your wisdom, get understanding. He said, we've got to be consistently investigating and learning because we want to regulate every aspect of our lives based on the truth. The way I feel is not a good litmus test for truth because I feel right now like most of y'all ain't listening. That's how I feel. I feel right now like some of this has fallen on deaf ears, but the reality is I think you're actually listening, and you're starting to absorb it, and you realize that there have been times in your life when you have put so much stock in the way that you felt, and we, and we hear this from childhood, like Disney taught us, let your conscience be your guide. Time out. Man, my conscience is flawed. My mental makeup, the way I view life, 
has been skewed by my environment. The way I think about people has been, has been affected by what I've been taught by, by both verbally and, and through behavioral patterns. We have to stop trusting in our hearts to make decisions about people and about circumstances. We have to learn to seek the Spirit of God and allow God to reveal the truth to us so that I can allow my emotions to be built on what's true. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble. And, and he, he begins by talking about anxiety, and anxiety is such a crippling thing. Fear is such a crippling thing. And, and, the, and the reality is, if, if we take an honest inventory of the things that we worry about, usually we worry about things that are not even reality. Again, I, I say this often, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, I've got so many different compartments in my life, that's why I have so many different favorite passages, but one of my favorite passages pertaining to this particular subject is where the Bible says, take no thought for tomorrow, because tomorrow will take care of the things of itself, sufficient for today is the evil thereof. And a very easy way to say that and summarize what the Bible means when it says that is, is this, I have enough problems to deal with today that I can't worry about Monday's problems yet. I'm going to deal with stuff today. I'm going to deal with issues today. I got things I need to handle today. I got business to deal with today. I can't live in fear of tomorrow because if I live in fear of tomorrow, it will cripple my effectiveness for today. And so I've got to learn how to focus on the day. That doesn't mean we don't take any forethought. That doesn't mean we don't plan ahead, but it does mean that you don't worry about what hasn't happened yet. We have to learn what it is to take honest assessments, to really think through in this phase of assessment. And um, you guys know that um, like New Year's resolutions are meant to be broken, right? Okay, so point number two this morning. These next two points are real quick, I promise. Point number two, you have to move to the activation phase. Okay, this is just real quick. I can say this and move on. The activation phase... Is, is, is what if you made, think about this now, what if you made a commitment today to put God first in every single area of your life for one year? Now, if we're going to talk about how to activate and affect change, positive change, over the things that we can control, which is, which is all we're talking about, is what we can control. If we're going to do that, number one, we, we have to employ the Jesus first principle which is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We spend so much time toiling on the things, we fail to put our confidence and our trust in the God who gave us the things in the first place. And so the Jesus first principle is that I want to learn, I'm striving to learn, I'm pressing toward this goal of putting Jesus first in every single element, every single aspect, every arena of my life. And so what if, I'm just, this is absolutely 100% a big what if question that I want to throw out there and I want you to think about of all the things we've made decisions about this year. I hope you, I hope you made some resolutions. Resolutions are good. But of all of our resolutions, in the midst of all of that, what if we made a commitment to, to strive to put God first in every single area of, of our lives just for a year? Don't worry about 2024, just this year. I'm talking about your family, your finances, every area of your life, I'm going to put God on the throne at number one in every single aspect, every element of my life. And this is more, I'm not one of those, hey man, try Jesus guys. But I am saying, just ask Christians, what would happen? What would happen if you just gave God one year and said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this, I'm going to figure out how in every way, I'm going to pray about it, I'm going to figure out in every way, every area of my life, to put God in the number one place, the number one position in my life. Now, if, if you do that, and we get to December 31st at the end of this year, and you say, you know what, that went to crap. It's not the worst thing you've ever tried. Are you listening? I'm talking about just for, just for a year, see what would happen. Just for a year. See what would happen if you put God first in every single area? I'm challenging you. Just put him above sports. Put him above recreation. Sorry, did I knock over your golden calf? Put him above everything. I'm talking about absolutely everything. Just put him first. 
and see what happens. Do it for a year. If it fails, come back next year and say, you know what, that didn't work. Do you have anything for 2024? I'll say, you know what, let's put God about third. See how that goes. Should just probably be back to normal for most people. Right? What if you put God first in every single area of your life? Now, how to apply that? I can't, I can't go through every, every single phase, but, but just thinking through it, how can I put God above everything else in my life this year? Now, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I can guarantee you if you'll learn to do that, you will not regret it this time next year. The activation phase is where we bring God into the equation and say, you know what, I understand I can't do this on my own. You remember, we're about a half a bubble off from being crazy. I can't do this on my own. I've tried on my own 10,000 different ways. I've failed a million times. I, I, I want to just, I want to, I want to, God, I want you to navigate everything that I'm going to deal with. I want you to be there with me. I'm going to get some big visions, some big dreams, some big ideas. I'm going to set some goals. I'm going to do like Paul said, and I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize. But God, I'm going to need you to give me the wisdom, the insight, the perspective, the strength to get through this year. I'm going to put you in the seat of number one priority in everything in my life as much as possible and let you handle it. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? I mean, what would it hurt to try that for one year? What would it hurt for just one year to as much as humanly possible? We're going to fail. I'm getting to that part in a second. But as much as humanly possible, humanly possible meaning with the help of God, what if we put him first in everything? And then I told you that point, be quick. Last point is this. There will be an acclimation phase. If we're going to control what we can control, there will be a time of acclimation. Now, notice what Paul said in verse number 12. He said, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead of me, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, <coughs> you know what I'm about to say is true. Developing healthy habits takes time, doesn't it? Developing healthy habits takes time. It ain't easy, and progress doesn't happen without effort. Okay, coast mode is easy on the, on the front end, it's real tough on the back end, right? Some of y'all have learned that about, never mind. I was going to say something about exercise, but who wants to talk about that on January the 1st? <laughs> and so I just want to simply state that failure will be a major part of the journey ahead. Do you know that? If you even try to employ some of what I said today, I promise you failure is going to be a major part of the journey ahead. But Thomas Watson said it this way. He said, if you want to increase your success rate, double your failure rate. You ever heard that? If you want to increase your success rate, double your failure rate. If you're not failing, you're not trying anything. If you're not failing, you're not trying anything. You ought to be failing every day. You should you say, oh, I don't want to fail. Well, you're going to, unless you're just going to coast through life and, and, and be content with, with mundane and monotony. If you're okay with that, if you're okay with just sort of being complacent and, and, and flowing through this world and not affecting change, then, then, then you're probably not going to fail that consistently. But if every single day you're trying to be a better version of you than you were the day before, you will fail miserably on a daily basis. Get used to it. Embrace it. Because failing simply means you're trying something. Failing means you're working at it. Failing means you're trying to gain ground, and that's what we should be doing. Paul said, I press toward the mark. He said, I've set some goals for myself, and I'm pressing toward it for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, controlling what you can control. Once again, you and I both know we're going to encounter things this year that are completely out of our control. You say, well, that's what I'm worried about. Don't worry about that. You can't do it. Worrying ain't going to change it. Don't worry about that. But do concern yourself with what you can do. Don't be a victim of life. Don't be a victim of circumstance. 
Man, get up and get busy. God has given you a mind. God's given you creativity. God's given you power. And then where you fail as a human being, God's given you access to himself. And said, what you can't do in your own strength, if you'll come to me, I'll give you the power to do it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20 says, Now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, by the power that works in us, and to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. I like that statement that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That means God can exceed our expectations and will exceed them. If we'll dream big, if we'll get vision, if we'll, if we'll have ideas and aspirations, it won't always work out. Big ideas, big dreams, big visions won't always work out. But if you're trying and you're seeking the Lord and you're putting him first, man, you'll be amazed. I promise you. I don't make many promises to people. But this is a promise I can make on God's behalf that I know he will keep. If you'll seek him first in your life for the next year, I guarantee you this time next year you'll be in a much better place. A much better place. Let's all stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we want to help you in that journey. If you need someone to talk to, someone to pray with, if you have questions, man, we may not have all the answers, but we'll do our best to help walk you through whatever you're going through. So we have church staff on hand, volunteers on hand that are ready to pray with you, talk with you. If you'd like to step forward from where you stand and come to the front, we'd be happy to help you out with anything that you have need of. But I just want to encourage you today to, from your heart, seek the Lord. Get some vision for the year. Set some goals. And trust God to give you the victory in those areas that you struggle with. Father, we thank you for all the goodness that you've poured out on us. We live in a pretty rough world. God, it gets tough sometimes. There's a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment. We understand as we look ahead toward the future that one day you're going to right every wrong. But right now, as we're living through this veil of darkness and confusion at times, Lord, we look to the one constant thing that we can believe in, and that's you. Lord, we trust you. We commit our hearts to you, Father. We pray that you would guide us, that you direct us, that you would empower us. God, that you'd strengthen us that we could be more like Jesus. And if there's someone here today who does not know you as their Savior, Lord, I pray that you draw their hearts and reveal to them their need as only you can in Jesus' name. Amen.